You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and we will continue our series together. We're almost actually at the end of Ephesians, believe it or not. Um, it has been a long walk through this this letter. Um, I believe and I pray that for you that it has been a profitable walk through this letter. I hope that there have been some helpful things for you as you follow Jesus and understanding that the gospel is not just something that happened to you however many years ago when you trusted in Christ. The gospel is not just something that happened at the cross when Jesus accomplished that victory, but that the gospel is the, the, the very thing, the very truth that you live out every single day as you continue to live your life in Jesus Christ. So I hope that that is what you have seen from the gospel in our marriage and the gospel in our parenting and the gospel in our church and all of these other areas that we've seen. Even last week, the gospel in our workplaces, as strange as that may seem, that there would be this this kind of running thread through our lives that the gospel happens everywhere. And so I hope that that's some of the things that you've picked up throughout the, the, the course of this Series. Well, this is going to be a very practical three-part message of Ephesians, uh, but at first it does not seem practical. At first it seems like something that is distant, a distant concept that's not ground level. Some things happening around us that we are unaware of, but at the same time, as we look at this concept, it has very real practical implications in the life of the believer, and in the life of the church. There are some very real things that you and I must do and be and cling to when it comes to this particular concept. And so it is the gospel at work in Christian warfare. The gospel at work in Christian warfare. We will divide this into three different sections over the course of the next three weeks. So I want to encourage you to follow along with me. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter six, beginning with me in verse 10. The Bible says, finally, some of you are glad that that word's there. (laughs) Finally, he's gotten done with these messages. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father, even as we come to the last few verses of this passage over the next three and four weeks, Lord, we pray that You would continue to move in our hearts. God, that Your Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we confess that we are flesh and that we are in need and that there is nothing in us that is capable of fighting this battle that you describe here in this passage. Nothing in us at all. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we pray for strength from you, almighty God. We ask that you would empower us by your spirit. God, that you would, as we just sang about strongholds coming down, that your spirit would come and he would take down strongholds within our own heart and within our church. We pray that the enemy would not have any freedom in our lives at all. God, we ask that he would be bound. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in all that takes place. Lord, we know that there may be someone here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, the enemy has hold on their heart. Your word says that they are the child of the enemy. And I pray this morning that you would convict them and that today they would be saved. That they would cry out to you as holy God, as father and faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would adopt them into your family and that they would become children of the living God today. And we will glorify you for all that takes place. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. This text, in case you couldn't tell, is all about warfare. In fact, it's very different from the rest of the letter. If you're reading through the letter of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesian church, you'll find a lot of very practical things that that seem to apply to everyday life. But it's almost as if Paul takes a turn here. Maybe if you thought he was taking a turn with the slave passage, even more so here. Like, Paul, what are you talking about? We're not in any kind of a battle. What is it, this battle that you're describing? We're, we're at peace. Maybe this would apply to the war between two countries. But what are, you, what are you describing here, this battle in our lives, Paul? And so this whole passage is all about spiritual warfare. In fact, you could divide it evenly in three different sections. Notice it there, verses 10 through 13. He describes the reality of Christian warfare, that it does, in fact, exist. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then he describes in verses 14 through 18, the preparation for Christian warfare. What does it look like to prepare ourselves for this battle that we're in? 
And then, interestingly enough, he transitions to the preaching of the gospel there in the middle of verse 18. And he says to us that there is an impact on the mission. And so the the missional impact of Christian warfare, the reality, the preparation, the missional impact, that's what's going to make up the next three weeks for us. And we want to focus our attention this morning on the reality of Christian warfare. And I think that this comes aptly for us. It comes in due season, because I think that in our lives, sometimes we forget or at least we neglect the fact that there is something going on around us that is far greater than us that we cannot see and largely do not understand. And yet we're called to respond to it as Christians. And so we need to understand the reality of Christian warfare. That's the first thing that Paul does in this passage. He comes to the church to convince them that there is a Christian or a spiritual battle happening all around them. And it's something that they are not immediately aware of. Otherwise, he wouldn't have reminded them in this passage. And so we're in good company with the church at Ephesus. So I want you to see this and I want you to sense the earnestness of Paul's warning When he says to them, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's a kind of rally charge that is similar to what we see God calling Joshua to be strong and courageous because the Lord knew there was coming a battle. And in the same way, Paul knows of this battle. He warns them to put on the whole armor of God. We'll come back to that next week. But the warning is this, it's almost as if Paul is calling the church of Ephesus in close. And he says, okay guys, I want you to listen to me. You need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to put on all of the armor of God. Because know this, that your enemy, the devil, he has incredible schemes built up against you. And those schemes, if you are not careful will take you down. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against the prince of the power of the air. The Bible here calls it against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And so Paul is saying, listen, you have an enemy that you need to be aware of. And you need to be able to stand against this enemy. It's as if, again, Paul is calling the church in close and he wants to give all of their attention to this in this moment. And in fact, if you're following along, this is one of the longer, longer, longest portions of Ephesians as he shares with them about their need to do battle. And it is a battle that is immediate. It's not something that's happening later. It's a a battle that is happening right now. It's raging all around them. And if they're not careful, they will otherwise be unaware. And more than that, it's not a battle that is distant. It is a battle that is close. It impacts their life personally and corporately, the body of Christ. And he cannot emphasize this any more strongly. Now, it is not a physical battle. When I use the term Christian warfare, I'm not describing to you, and I don't think Paul here is describing to us, a physical battle with physical weapons and with a physical battle plan. You can't map out 
the strategy of the enemy in a physical kind of a way. It's what he says when he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle, listen to me carefully, is not here on this earth. Our battle is not with our spouse. Amen? Come on now. Some of you going, that's not what I heard this morning, but you know. Our battle is not with our spouse. Praise Praise the Lord. Our battle is not with our kids. Amen? Uh, You guys that are fighting to raise kids, I'm telling you, that's not the battle. Our battle is not, we're not at war with our neighbor. We're, We're not at war with races in this country. We are not war with political positions. We are not at war with our boss. We are not fighting ultimately against abortion. We are not fighting ultimately against homosexuality. We are not fighting ultimately against liberalism or anything like it. We're not in a political battle and we're not actually in an ethical battle. All of those conflicts have at their core an altogether different battle. A more violent battle that is raging at every moment, every waking moment of the day. When you are sleeping, when you're awake, when you're, an, when you're aware, when you're unaware, this battle never ceases. And it is a spiritual battle. So church, hear the warning of the Apostle Paul. Let it resound not only at the church at Ephesus, but at Southwide Baptist Church. The Christian is engaged in a deadly spiritual war. And it has immediate spiritual danger. The Christian is engaged in a deadly spiritual war. And it has immediate spiritual danger. Paul's word choice here in the passage is interesting. I love the Apostle Paul because he gets creative quite a number of times. And then one of those times, it's verse 12, when he uses the word wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And by the way, by implication, but we wrestle against the rulers. And so it's not there twice physically, but the idea is there twice. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers and against the authorities and so on. Paul's word choice makes them aware that this is something that they are familiar with when he says wrestle. It comes from a word that does not ultimately describe spiritual battle. It's a term that's focused Nowhere else in the Greek New Testament, nowhere else in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, nowhere in Scripture do we find this term except for this one verse. And it's borrowed from New Testament culture, describing a a wrestling match, a kind of a competition, a, a game that was taking place. Where they would wrestle one another, much like we have wrestling today. No, it wasn't a WWE kind of a deal where they fight each other and it's all some some soap opera for men. Y'all take that jab and we'll move on. But anyway, uh, it's not that. No, it is a real wrestling match where people are engaged one-on-one in hand-to-hand combat. And so why would Paul choose to use this word? The word is palais. 
Why would he choose to use this word to describe the battle? He could have chosen some sort of a military term, but he didn't. Because I think the danger for Ephesus, just like the danger is for us, to understand, listen to me, spiritual battle in some distant sense, where we launch an attack in some distant sense, in some corporate way, and to miss that the battle is actually very personal. One commentator wrote that Paul is not describing guiding computer-guided missiles over to some foreign nation where the, the, everything that we see happens on film or on a camera or on satellite. This is something that is close and personal. It is our struggle. We wrestle. Believer, if you have trusted in Jesus this morning as your Savior, you need to understand that you are in a personal battle with the enemy. And it is hand-to-hand combat every single day. That's the description. Church, you need to wake up and recognize that this is not a life to be lived haphazardly, casually, as if nothing real is going on. You need to hear the warning that every single day we wake up and we fight a deadly spiritual battle that has immediate dangers to our soul. And I think that this is unique in American culture specifically because we tend to be a naturalistic people, maybe more so than any other place on the planet. In our country you will probably hear the word atheist more than any other place in the country or in the, the, the world. Why? Because we, we have a naturalistic kind of a world that says matter is only what you can see and taste and understand and quantify. We want to wrap our hands around it and so we reject the supernatural. And Paul wants to remind you, believer, that you have not been saved to something that is coming. You have been saved to something that is right now. It's happening. It is a very real battle. And we're not talking about ghosts. We're not talking about karma. We're not talking about the force for you Star Wars fans. We're not talking about some cosmic thing out in the universe. We're not talking about the gods, if you are a one who studies Greek mythology, we're talking about a very real battle between God and his enemy and everyone that follows. And Paul makes it very clear that this is exactly who we as believers wrestle against. And so in the first four verses, he wants us to be clear about this battle, to know that it is real. And he calls us to essentially uh, three different things in the passage that we should do in response to the reality of the battle. This isn't how we prepare for it. This is just how we respond to the reality of it. Some of you are going, well, if that's the world on, around me, I am scared to death. I don't want anything to do with that world. And you can't escape it. And some of you are trembling at the very thought that all of these things are happening around you. Some of you are scoffing at it, that you, you think, well, that's no big deal. Or maybe you're thinking, well, that's a different world. I'm living here. Paul is very clear that these two worlds are intertwined and that you should understand that and live as if you know that. So what are the ways in which we respond? 
Paul says first that we should be sober in the battle. Be sober in the battle. So when he says be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Put on the whole armor. He gives a reason. He doesn't say just be strong for no reason or be strong because it's the godly thing to do. He says be strong because he wants you to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He goes on to describe that we have a battle that's not against flesh and blood, but against Satan and all of his forces. There is a battle. Be aware that the battle is happening around you. It's a wake up call to believers and to the church. And he doesn't just want us to be completely unaware about our enemy either. What kind of enemy that he is. So he gives these descriptions. There are five different descriptions of the enemy that you will face. First, Paul calls him the devil. That's there in verse 11. The schemes of the devil. The word literally means adversary. He is an enemy. It's described as the slanderous one. That's what the word means as an adjective. He slanders. He is backbiting. Think a raging bull. Any of you ever been up to up near a bull's pen? Who's angry at you? Anybody ever been there? Come on, somebody. Y'all been near a bull's pen? Hopefully you haven't been in the pen. But when you're outside the pen and he is mad at you, he is raging and grunting and stomping, scraping, and he wants you on a silver platter. He's your enemy. The same thing is true of the enemy. He is slandering you and backbiting you and accusing you. He is your enemy, your adversary, and he wants nothing more than to absolutely take you down. That's the enemy you're facing. But it's not only raging bull. Because if it was raging bull, I don't think that Paul would have to warn us, right, about the presence of our enemy. Because sometimes the church falls asleep. And we forget that we have an enemy. It's amazing how many times believers are taken off guard by this enemy. How many times entire churches are taken off guard by this enemy. He describes him not only as an adversary, this raging, slanderous devil. He describes him as the one who is developing schemes. The schemes of the devil. He is the deceiver. He has a battle plan. He is trying to come up with a way to derail your faith and your life. By the way, you are his greatest target. I don't think that the devil cares one bit about those in the world because they're already going down with him. The greatest target of the enemy is believers who are following Jesus and he will find a way, whatever way he can to deceive you into turning away from Christ. He is a deceiver. That's why he is the serpent, the slithering snake. Wednesday night we had a snake out here in the bushes that we tried to catch and he got away. He's that kind of a snake. And I promise you one day he's not going to get away, but we're going to come to that in here in a second. The devil. He is also described as a ruler. A ruler. He says that he is the ruler. That means that he is a commander. He's giving marching orders. When he gives these schemes, he has those that are helping him. He is on the offensive. 
He's giving commands. He's ruling over an area which is really important as we see that He is an authority against the authorities. We pray that Satan would have no authority here in this place when we pray. And the reason is that Satan does have authority on this earth. He has been given a long leash by God. He is ruling and reigning on this earth. He is marching around the earth, the Bible says, going to and from the earth. He is not now bound. When we pray that Satan would be bound, we are asking not that he would be physically bound, but that he would have no foothold, no place to tear down our lives and our church. We are praying against his schemes and praying that God would supernaturally work in that. But you need to understand this morning that Satan is not now bound. He is an authority. And he is power over present Darkness. That's what he says. The cosmic powers. The word you should understand there is cosmos. It's description of the world. It's not cosmic like you would think superhero, but a world power. He's controlling. He is in power of all of the forces of darkness in this world. That does not mean that when you make a mistake and a bad choice and you sin against a holy God or anyone else sins that you can blame it on the devil. But at the end of the day. He is reigning over the powers of darkness. And it is a spiritual force. Just in case you thought you could pick up your AR-15 and take out the devil. He is a force that is in heaven that could not be touched by any human weapons. That's what he says when he says the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You have in and of your flesh no power and no ability to stop the force of Satan. He is our enemy. The terms, all of them, interestingly, are plural except for devil. When he describes them, they are plural. Is he referencing all of the demons? Who knows? The main idea is to understand this as an insurmountable power that Satan has if we're operating only in our flesh. Regardless, you have an enemy that hates you and that has all power over you unless, unless you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And so you need to see the power that this enemy has. It is a power that if we're not careful, will take hold in our hearts. Don't be blind to the war that's raging for your heart, your emotions, your love, your affections. Satan wants to shift your affection. You remember in the, in the, in the wilderness that the temptation for Jesus was that Satan would give him all of the things of the earth. Now, of course, Jesus had everything in the earth, but that's beside the point. The temptation was that he would shift his affection from what he was about to do at the cross to gaining power and dominion. This is what Satan does. He goes to battle in our hearts to shift our affection from the things of God to trick us into thinking that we can love something different or something else could be more satisfying, even in a moment, a fleeting moment. Don't forget there's a battle going on in your heart, in your mind, for truth. All of the falsehoods of this world, all of the false theologies and the false philosophies and all of the things in this world that are entering into your mind on a daily basis. There's a battle going on for your mind, for your thoughts, 
All of the ways you're tempted to doubt and fear and wonder and not believe. Satan is seeking to throw darts in there to take you down and to destroy you. Your home, your home is a battleground for the enemy. Be aware that your battles in parenting, your battles in your marriage are not primarily physical battles, emotional battles, mental battles. They are spiritual battles. The battle in your workplace, the battle in your church. And we're going to come to that in a couple of weeks. All of these areas, be aware that there is a, there is a spiritual battle raising, raging. And this is the resounding warning of Scripture. John 10.10, we love to quote, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 1 Peter 5, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary or your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. This is the call of the Scripture. Matthew 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness and He is to resist the enemy, the garden. Satan is trying to destroy everything before we ever hardly get into creation in Genesis 3. He is the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the one who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world in Revelation 12. Do not be deceived, believer. This enemy is raging and wants your life. Be sober. Be sober, Paul says. Secondly, be strong in the battle. Be strong in the battle. That's what he opens up the passage saying. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. But we need to do some work here. Because the passage does seem to come from Old Testament. Some pictures where people are told to be strong. You know the story of Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. And you knew the kind of impossible battle that he was facing. Not one enemy, but hundreds of enemies. Different nations that he was to drive out, every single one of them, by the power that God would give him. And God doesn't give him weapons of warfare. Ultimately, where does it begin? Do you remember the story? With a trumpet and a battle call. That's not a weapon, (laughs) If you're looking for a weapon, his strength could not be found in his military might. We see that in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Even David, we're told, 1 Samuel 30, that David found his strength in the Lord. Later, we're told in Zechariah 10, the, the, the people are told that they're to, uh, when they gathered home from exile, that they're to be strong in the Lord, that, that God would make them strong in the Lord. Zechariah 10 and verse 12. So the imperative is be strong, but it's not an active imperative, which is also interesting. It's not something that you take up and do. It's actually something that you are to be or to become. Rightly translated, rightly understood, we should see it as be made strong, be strengthened. This is not a command as much of it as as much as it is a prayer for the church. Be strengthened in the power of the Lord. Friend, you need to understand this morning that if you are going to fight spiritual battles in your life, be it in your marriage, in your home, your parenting, with your children, in your church, if we're going to face this as a church, 
you will not stand in the power of your own flesh. You will not stand. You will ultimately fall if you're depending on yourself. And so oftentimes we go into this battle on our own. The command to fight, notice, is never given. It's to simply be strong. In fact, if you read on, he tells us to stand three times. Stand, 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 stand firm, he says. We're to stand firm. The command to fight is never given. That's not Paul's concern. Paul's concern is that we would stand being strengthened by the Lord's strength and that we would continue to stand firm. It's the same kind of statement that's given in the Old Testament whenever the people of God went to battle. Exodus 14.14 The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. That's what Paul told or rather what Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul would, would say as a lesson from that, no doubt learned, that's his lesson learned, but he said as a response to that in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 10 and verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You will not... Be strong if you don't depend on the strength of His might. You need Christ's strength in the battle. So he says, take up the whole armor of God. And we'll see that next week. Be strong in the battle. It's the third thing that Paul alludes to here. And a careful eye will see it. Verse 13 He says that you may be able to withstand. He he wants you to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What day is he describing? Well, that's all the days leading up to the coming of Jesus. This day that we live in is evil day. So you'd be able to stand. But he concludes it. Having done all to stand firm. There is a finality to what Paul's describing, a a final picture that you're able to stand all the way to the end, that when it's all said and done, that the anthem of your life is that you stood firm. Isn't this what Paul said? I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith that that would be the anthem of your life. And so we we should not only be strong in our battle and sober in our battle, we must be secure in this battle. Be secure in the battle. There's a future component to it. it. The reason that the battle is passive, that we're not taking as much of an active role, that we're simply sitting down and being still, standing in the power of God's might and letting Him fight for us, the reason that can be true is because the battle has already been decided. Do you hear that this morning? Whatever battle you're facing, whatever evil you fight against, Whatever brokenness you battle every single day, the outcome of that battle has already been decided. And here is a little glimpse of the end. Jesus has already won. 
And so when we fight the spiritual battle, we don't face it with fear because we are secure in a fight that's already been won. You say, it doesn't look like it's been won in my life. The battle's hard every single day. See, this is where we need to hear the gospel again and again. Because the gospel is not restoring things overnight. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith and our eternity is secure the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But our lives have not all been corrected in their path yet. The world has not all been fixed in its brokenness yet. We just simply know that the battle has been secured in the gospel. And the gospel reminds us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has the plan of redemption and who is setting things right in his time. And we trust him. So we stand. But this isn't foreign or it shouldn't be foreign by now. This is why it's so important for you to read the Bible in its context Because if you've read all of Ephesians, if you've been with us this time, you've heard this already. Go all the way back to chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 13. Chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. Again, this is a long sentence, but I want to just read this portion of it. Describing believers, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you hope, right? Not not fear, not not pain, not hardship as far as the way that we understand our trials. No, we understand them as a momentary heaviness. Why? Because there is hope and it is a hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now watch it. Verse 21. Far above all authority, all all rule and all authority and power and dominion. That is almost word for word the description of the enemy that we see in just a few short chapters. If you're not convinced, go over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, same picture. Chapter 3 and verse 8 and following. Paul describes his great responsibility. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, middle of verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that, watch it now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Oh, watch this. Every time. The gospel is heard in the church. We are reminded that the victory already belongs to Christ. And every time the gospel is preached by the church, the enemy is reminded that the victory already belongs to Christ. Isn't that good news this morning? So we, when we get over to chapter 6, we can be warned. 
See the battle. Don't walk around with your head in the sand or your head in the clouds. Realize that there is a raging battle, but don't run in fear. You be strong in this battle, in the power of Christ's might, and you trust in Him that He has secured you. You continue to trust in His security by faith, and you continue to be strong in the battle. And then... Never forget that the next day and the next moment and the next hour, he will continue to be at your heels. So in the power of Christ's might, you watch as Christ crushes his head. That is good news this morning. Because every battle you face is already won and decided in Christ. And so now you can simply stand in Christ. Some of you need to answer this question. How are you standing? How are you doing at standing? Are you trying to stand on your own? You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to put the pieces together. You're trying to come up with a solution. You're depending on your flesh and your ability and your thoughts and your ways. Some of you think you've got it all together. The Bible says pride goes before a fall and you are just one moment away. You see, I don't have any strength to stand against the enemy. Every single one of us are one fall away from total devastation in our lives were it not for Christ. And so you need to lay down your pride this morning. And you need to trust in Christ who alone can keep you and stand in the power of His might and trust in His truth and stay in His Word. Others of you this morning, you're afraid. You don't know where the next moment is going to lead. You don't have the answer and you don't know what to do. And you're frantic and you're worried. Maybe it's things in this world that's got you turned upside down. Maybe it's circumstances in your own life, but you're not trusting in Christ. And this morning... You need to remember that the battle has been decided for you if you know Jesus and that the victory is yours in Christ. And this morning you can trust him no matter what happens to your life. And there may be someone in this room, you'd say, I I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, if you are honest. There's never been a time in your life where you said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Everything that I am, I I ask the Lord to forgive me, to change me. I I want to be his surrender to Him as Lord, trust in His cross to forgive you, that He will forgive you by His blood. Maybe that's never happened in your life. Friend, you are on the wrong side of the battle line. You are on the losing side, the side that is already lost. And you need to know this morning that the end of that road is devastation. But today, if you would trust in Jesus by faith, the Bible says that you can be saved For it is Christ who gives us the victory. Our sin condemns us. The enemy condemns us. But we have the victory in Christ. So I want to invite you to bow your heads all across this room this morning and give you an opportunity to respond to the Bible's invitation to you. Maybe to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe to pray over something that's going on in your own heart or your own life or pray for a friend. Or maybe to submit and surrender and to confess that pride this morning. Whatever the case is this morning, you need to follow Jesus. Maybe there's other decisions that need to be made in this room of coming and joining this church. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in baptism.
I don't know what the Lord has laid on your heart, but I know that today is the day that you need to respond in obedience. And so all across the room, as we stand this morning, the music's going to begin to play and I'm going to pray. Respond to the Lord this morning. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in this place and that you would be glorified in our heart and in our lives. God, we do pray that you would bind the enemy and that you would bring response from our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins to play, you come this morning. The altar is open. You come this morning. Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe there's another decision on your heart. Today's the day. God, we thank You for the forgiveness that is ours through the power of the cross, the blood that was shed of Your precious Son. God, we thank You for that forgiveness. <clears throat> God, we thank You that victory was won that day. That we don't have to wonder as Your children whether or not the end is going to come out good. This isn't something we got to wait and see. But we already know and so we praise You that ours is the victory in Christ. We pray that You would help us to live in such a way that we trust in that victory to walk through whatever it is that we have to walk through now. May we trust You with all of our hearts. And God, may we fight this battle standing in the strength of Your might. 
May you fill us with your power and God, may you win out in those little battles in our lives where the enemy wants to destroy us, to devour us. God, we pray that you would help us to be strong and God, that you would be glorified in our lives. Lord, we pray the same in our homes and we pray the same in our church and that you would receive glory and honor through our lives in the world. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.